I'm Pete Holloway. I'm a senior vice president with Hazlett Bird and Watson in Wheeling, where I'm a financial advisor. I'm also a certified financial planner. And as always, it's my great pleasure to welcome you to On Money. Today, we're going to be talking about West Virginia public broadcasting with Chuck Roberts. Chuck uh, was uh, born at Langley Air Force Base in Virginia and attended high school with the General Hap Arnold uh, Academy in Wiesbaden, Germany. He has a Bachelor's of Science in Communication from West Virginia State and is working on an MBA from Marshall right now. This is his 20th year at West Virginia Public Broadcasting. He's been married since 2003. A little full disclosure, I am a member of the West Virginia Public Broadcasting Foundation, which collects and disperses money for the uh, public broadcasting. I want to thank you for being with us, Chuck. Can you give us a quick history of West Virginia Public Broadcasting? Well, a quick history was something I'll try to do. Of course, I've been a part of it for the last 20 years, as you mentioned. Started here as a production associate and now worked my way up to the CEO. Uh, West Virginia Public Broadcasting's history, I guess, be, begins in 1961 with the formulation of Marshall University's first non-commercial radio station, WMUL-FM. Uh, it goes forward from there to 63 with uh, the actually... Uh, the, the Educational Broadcast Authority is formulated in 62 and 63. So we're talking way, way back. Uh, just, just a side note, when, when I tour and go to national conventions and things with national PBS people, it's kind of interesting to find out how stations are, how they're formed, how they're run. And there's three basic types. There's a university licensee, there's a community licensee, and there's a state licensee. Uh, at West Virginia, we have histories of all three. Uh, the stations primarily began as university licensees at WVU and Marshall and a community licensee in Beckley. So they were all three separate entities and uh, they were formed. And then, of course, the state put together the Educational Broadcasting Authority, which is a public benefit corporation formulated back in 1963. So basically, there's a history of state support for public broadcasting. And in our state, that's something that's very dire and very important. Without that state funding, it does not exist. So we moved forward uh, quite a ways, and then radio started coming on board and formulating throughout the state with Grandview. Uh, actually, Grandview came on TV in 1970, and then stations started popping up. Six West Virginia public broadcasting transmitters go online in 1981. So we fast forward a little bit, but we're creating a statewide network. And uh, that existed for, what is that, 30 years, approximately, uh, as separate entities. And uh, through, there, there were different entity, different people involved, but one of the main people involved in putting the whole thing together, of course, was Sharon Rockefeller. She was the first lady at the time and was very much interested in public broadcasting and saw the need for uh, more funding for it, more support. Uh, fast forward to 96. And 1996 is when uh, all three TV stations were combined under one umbrella for West Virginia Public Broadcasting. That's WPBY, WSWP, and WNPB in Morgantown. Uh, they all became under the jurisdiction of the Educational Broadcasting Authority. And at the time before that, so each entity had their own governing board, their own GMs, their own friends boards. And uh, once they were brought together, of course, it had to be combined under one, one entity. And of course, I came in 2000 uh, 
And when I came in 2000, the growing pains had still persisted. And there were still, I guess there were still vibes throughout each about their separate identity. And uh, coming forward, I think we've done a much better job of working as one entity, the, the West Virginia Public Broadcasting. And, and it's been helpful so that we all have everyone pulling in the same direction. But uh, uh, at that same time in 96 and, and going forward a little bit further, uh, each had their own individual friends boards. Those are community members uh, from their region that support West Virginia Public Broadcasting. And they were combined into t uh, one TV friends board, all three combined, and then a separate radio friends board. Uh, eventually those were combined in 2007 to one entity, the Friends of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which includes TV and radio Friends members. And you might wonder, what is a Friends board member? Well, it's a member of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, someone who has donated funds and become a sustaining member, who then uh, becomes a member of this board through an election process, and they represent an area of the state. Uh, it's a very, very helpful organization because the way I look at it, they're my boots on the ground for comments coming my way to let me know what we're doing and, and how we're, we're, we're being seen in that region, in that county. And also uh, for me to be able to get information out and be able to hold events throughout the state that promote West Virginia public broadcasting. So it's, it's, a, it's a long history. Uh, it's, it's a history that a lot of states have not gone through yet. Uh, when you, we tour to uh, different conferences, like I just mentioned earlier for these national uh, conferences, a lot of the states are still separated. They have separate entities throughout their state that broadcast public broadcasting. Like I said before, the, the uh, university licensees, state licensees, and community licensees are different throughout each state. Um, it works for them. Uh, when I first started going and learning about them, it was very confusing to me because I've only operated under the system where we're one combined unit. Uh, so to hear about how, and that's the other thing I found out is, is call letters are very important in other states versus what they are in West Virginia. We are all WVPB now, West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Uh, in Kentucky, there, there's Bowling Green has its own station. Lexington has uh, its big WKET, the big boy in the pool. Uh, so there's th th those letters mean something much more to them than they do to us within the state. To us, it's an FCC requirement. Uh, for WNPB, WPBY, and, and WSWP, uh, but it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't, it organizationally, it's not something that dictates who we are and what we do. We're a wide agency. Um, so it's, it's interesting to see how those other systems uh, exist and how they work together and, and how they don't work together sometimes and how <laughs> they get state funding many times too. So instead of it going to one organization, uh, it has to be split up five to seven ways. Uh, Pennsylvania does the same thing. They split their funds amongst stations. It's a much smaller amount too. So it, it's very interesting how West Virginia Public Broadcasting came to exist and how it exists within the network of national public broadcasting stations. Uh, there for a while, we kind of dropped off the national radar because we were just trying to take care of things internally, but we found uh, I mentioned these conferences I go to. The reason I go to it is for uh, inclusion into projects that are going on throughout the nation, uh, grant possibilities that there are to collaborate with other stations. And now with emerging technologies is how we integrate a national HD system. And that's something 
we'll probably get into here in just a little bit. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm of an age <laughs> that I remember an awful lot of those growing pains and some of the conflicts that did occur, but it, it really does work well. One of the reasons I'm a supporter of uh, public broadcasting is not just because of Sesame Street, not just because of uh, Downton Abbey or on the radio uh, mountain stage, but it has to do with a couple years ago when West Virginia suffered those devastating floods. Now, West Virginia has a number of commercial stations, but they're all over the place, Beckley, Wheeling, Clarksburg, Eastern Panhandle, and so forth. West Virginia public broadcasting was the thing that held the state together because so much of the state was impacted by that flooding. Can you tell us about that and then maybe the kinds of things you're doing now to face the uh, COVID crisis? Well, the, the, the flooding that happened was kind of a, a hard thing to deal with. Like you said, we're a state entity, but we have the resources probably of one of the commercial stations. So we had to figure out uh, where we were impacted pretty heavily, where we could get people into to gather the stories from and where we could successfully turn something around. Uh, and at the time, it, it kind of was a relationship building situation between West Virginia Public Broadcasting, Homeland Security, and the National Guard. Uh, we, we worked with General Hoyer very well during that time to get information about what was going on with the floods and being able to disseminate that through our digital entities. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's a strange learning process. When the derecho happened, we learned about what West Virginia Public Broadcasting meant to the state. Uh, there was no one way at that time for the governor to address the entire state from his facility. Uh, and that's something our engineer talked to us about is when, when, when things go wrong, we need to as very quickly as possible flip a switch and let information flow to the entire state. At the time, we had to uh, uh, rent out a satellite live truck, park it near the Capitol, and then run cables into their reception room. Since then, we've developed a fiber system where we have fiber drops uh, in many different sections of the Capitol, in the governor's reception room, um, in the Supreme Court, in the Culture Center, and of course uh, in the basement of the Capitol for the House and Senate. But that's, it's basically a web of information that we can bring back to one location in Charleston and put it out. We learned that during the derecho about what we meant and how we had to have boots in the ground to assist the government in getting information out. Um, so moving forward to where we are now, uh, the governor's press conferences that are seen uh, on West Virginia Public Broadcasting and on the commercial stations come through a fiber line to 600 Capitol Street here in Charleston and then go to Beckley to our master control and go out to the world. Uh, the commercial stations are able to pick up our feed off air and broadcast on their channels. Uh, so we broadcast it live. Uh, I'm in communication many times with the gentleman uh, for the governor's communications uh, department that's running those press conferences. And I can uh, text him about if they're having audio issues or video issues, or if I have a reporter of West Virginia Public Broadcasting that has an additional question that they've already gone past that person. So it, it's, it's a collaborative that we've worked on so that West Virginia Public Broadcasting is an integral part of information coming out from the executive office. Um, and, and like you brought up the flood, uh, that was something that uh, the governor needed to talk to everyone, um, and he didn't have that channel quite yet. But we were there to be able to flip that switch anytime you need to do an update. If you remember back to the flooding situations, instead of having being having to be six feet apart, they were just a conglomerate of people standing behind a podium that would take turns, and we were able to put that out statewide. Uh, to now, uh, 
I guess the, the governor had an address on a, I believe it was a Sunday, right when the COVID-19 was first happening. And we brought our satellite truck to bear up in Morgantown and fed not only the state, but also satellites so the people outside of the state to get the governor's address on what his plan was going forward. Um, and moving forward, that, that's an integral part of who we see ourselves being. And I mentioned uh, ATS, well, the, the burgeoning HD technologies for TV. Uh, the, the, the state government has invested in West Virginia Public Broadcasting to the tune of $7.3 million. And that money is reimbursable through an FCC program to upgrade our towers and move our frequencies off of what they call the spectrum repack. Because of a system where they're selling bandwidth, the FCC is, to uh, cell phone entities, to uh, broadband entities, they have to move our TV channels. We took this opportunity to up, not only move them, but upgrade them to ATSC3. That's the brand new HD system, which will not only bring clearer pictures, better audio, but it allows us to create a fourth channel. And we're working towards that. And the fourth channel will be used for Homeland Security and the National Guard for messaging and emergencies of any kind throughout the state. And this technology allows you to pinpoint areas of the state that you do the messaging to. So if there's something happening in the Northern Panhandle, a signal can be sent just to that area to get them the best information. Um, it also allows for this signal not only to be seen on TVs, but to be heard and seen on cell phones, laptops, tablets. It's, it's, it's a brand new horizon for TV and communication. So uh, the, the system is up and running actually at the Morgantown transmitter. It also gives us the transmitter is more powerful. So the footprint of just average programming and average transmission is bigger and stronger. The, the signal in Morgantown there actually is crossing the border into Pennsylvania something until this we had not been able to do. As a matter of fact, the satellite companies in that area take Pittsburgh public broadcasting and broadcast it into West Virginia because of their larger DMA. This signal gives us a better footprint to say, hey, you know, we're here in West Virginia broadcasting strong, you need to carry us on that satellite transmission as well. But uh, the next thing that's happening this year is uh, Huntington and Beckley transmitters are being upgraded to ATSC3. As, as we're quarantined, our, our uh, chief engineer, uh, Dave McClanahan, is working on the specs for those two sites and will be moving on those as soon as he has them completed. Uh, of course, we're a state entity, which means anytime you buy a piece of equipment, it goes through state purchasing. So there are steps to everything we do. And the Morgantown facility was a big learning experience, not only in purchasing, but also in how, how you go about completing it. Uh, we, we had a deadline for uh, February. Of course, January and February are the worst weather months of the year, but it's also the time we had to have tower climbers going up a tower uh, to install an antenna. They, they came, they set up, and they had to cancel each day for three weeks because mm -hmm. as soon as the clouds came, everything froze and the tower was iced over and they couldn't operate. And the, the uh, company that was doing it was a subcontracted sub company out of Texas. And these young men said, we can do it no matter what. And we kept telling them, <laughs> it's a little bit different situation than what you have in Texas. And uh, it, it, it was a learning experience and, and our engineer, chief engineer, Dave McClanahan told us we would have this problem. And, and 
it was, it was questionable as if we were going to go forward, but I let them know we have to go forward. Uh, whether it's that week when it's iced over or a few weeks later, this has to, this is step one that has to be completed. And now Morgantown is experiencing a stronger signal than they've had in 30 years. And we're trying to bring that to both Beckley and Huntington as well. Chuck, um, speaking of transmitters, one of the reasons uh, that we want to have you on the show today is what's happening in the Northern Panhandle. West Liberty TV covers the entire Northern Panhandle of West Virginia. And the transmitter, tell us how awful it is. There's are some real issues with the, the transmitter up here, and maybe you could explain what's going on. Yes, there, there definitely are. Uh, I, I, of course, in speaking with my chief engineer, Dave McClanahan, I wanted to know what are your three issues with that area? And they are the generator power, reliability, and coverage. We'll start with the generator. Of course, the, the transmitters are run off electricity. They get electricity just like everyone's house does. But they also have backup generators because frequently those, those sites are, are far away from anyone. So they're also far away from resources. So when it goes down, there has to be a generator that kicks in to keep it on the air. And the generator there at the wheeling transmitter is subpar. It's not good. And we're looking at buying a new one that will allow us to keep it up and running for a minimal seven, 72 hours once that clicks off and we need that uh, external generator. So that's one of the issues. The other issue is that the antenna and transmitter to that site are 18 and 20 years old. The, the transmitter that, that sends a signal out is, has been there longer than I have been with this organization. The antenna the same way. So we're it's, looking. It's my understanding you can't even find parts. Some parts is that correct? That's ex that's exactly right. It, it was made. They're made by RCA, which. Uh, I haven't seen RCA in the stores lately, have you? Uh, so, so we we can't find the parts needed to actually fix the antenna and the transmitter. So we have to buy new. And uh, right now, that's not in any budget that I have. So it's going to be something that we might have to use the dreaded double C word capital campaign to make happen. But if that's the the case, that's what we want to do. Um, uh, and it's not the only location, but it is a prime location we have up there in the northern part of the state. And the other issue we have, of course, is the topography of the area itself. Right now, the antenna is, is slightly north of Bethany College. And in between the transmitter and the city of Wheeling, of course, is our hills and mountains. So Wheeling kind of sits in my engineer, best way he describes it is it's kind of in a bowl. So there's these mountains around it and there's transmitters around it, but they shoot across the city of Wheeling. So uh, in, in upgrading this, and we could buy a new antenna, buy a new transmitter and put it in the same place, but then we have the same exact issues of people actually being able to receive the signal. We actually, this isn't just unique to Wheeling. We have similar issues here in Charleston, where there's a lot of folks in downtown Charleston that cannot receive our broadcast signal for TV over the air because they're down behind the hill. So uh, buying the new transmitter antenna will, will increase the strength of it, but it doesn't quite fix the situation. So what we're gonna do is do surveys of Wheeling to try to find an area uh, closer to downtown area that makes sense to have this transmitter. But it's not just about us picking a spot. It has to be a spot that, that, that takes care of SCC regulations with overlapping of other signals. And of course, when you look at that Northern Panhandle, you've got signals coming from Ohio, you've got signals coming from, uh, 
from Pennsylvania and they overlap. So it has to be a frequency that doesn't overlap with those. Uh, but, but that's the main issue is, of course, radio and TV are both line of sight technologies. And if we have our transmitter in an area that you can't see from downtown Wheeling, you're not going to get that signal. So we need to actually look at maybe moving where we're broadcasting from. And hopefully that will, it, it's not a, it's not a, you know, a weekly process. It's not going to happen overnight, but it's something we've started now and we look up moving to in the next year. That's great. Uh, we're running short on time because everyone's trapped in their houses <laughs> right now. Or a lot of people are trapped. Let's uh, tell us a couple, couple shows that might be good for the kids, for teenage college kids. And actually, I can call them kids at this, this stage. And then maybe for adults that, uh, they might find interesting. Okay, one, one of the developments with this COVID-19 thing we've had is is uh, the one I'm really proud of is, is a, a collaboration between West Virginia Public Broadcasting and the West Virginia Department of Education. Um, it's called uh, Education Station. It's on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 9 to 9.30. And it's a show where basically teachers from across the state use their curriculum to teach classes in 10 minute blocks. Um, it doesn't have, it's, it's basically K through 12 education um, and it's, it's the teachers from the actual classrooms teaching. So that way uh, they don't lose out on quite as much time out of school. It, it's, it's something that's tough to, to actually make happen because the teachers are across the state and you have to get the video from them, bring it in, and the education department actually edits it and creates the show. We, uh, a goal would be to have it on five days a week. The problem is getting the content in that's actually usable, you know, with lighting, with audio that would make sense to put on. So that's one thing we have going on. Uh, for the, the kids 12 and under, of course, there's Xavier Riddle. Xavier Riddle. It's a great show about a, a secret museum where Xavier goes in and he goes back in time to teach about historical figures and historical events. It's an animated show. Uh, Molly of Denali. It's a 10-year-old child, Alaskan child, Molly Mabry, who has daily adventures throughout Alaska and takes you along for those adventures. Uh, for the teenagers, of course, uh, getting a little bit older, there's the Odd Squad. It's a government agency. It's kind of like X-Files for kids. It's a, a government agency that uses math to invest, investigate, excuse me, strange occurrences. And uh, when you shift from there to for teens on radio, we have a show called Eclectopia. It's easier for me to say. It's uh, hosted by Jim Lang, and he brings an assortment of, of just a, a, a wide variety of, of listening uh, uh, music and, and everyone to the airways. Um, moving you know, college, that's such a hard moving target to hit. But once again, we have those radio shows, including the most popular one, World Cafe, that brings new music and old music for them. That's on radio. On TV, once you get to the adults, of course, uh, Passport's out there. It's our public broadcasting streaming um, uh, venue or media that we use, a lot like Netflix, but with public broadcasting in mind. So almost everything that we have, you can find there on Passport. And that's a member benefit. Once you're a member for at least a minimum of $5 a month, you automatically become a Passport member. And you can go to our I'll, website. I'll let you give a plug here. How, do, how, do, how does someone become a member? You go to 1-800-456-3488 and, and give us a call or go online to wvpublic.org. Click that red donate button and become a sustainer today. 
and you will become a Passport member so that while you're locked at home, you can stream all these great public broadcasting shows. And there's a couple new ones coming down the pipe. World on Fire is a World War II uh, period piece starring Helen Hunt and Sean Bean. And it basically takes these two people throughout different countries in, in Europe during World War II. If you like uh, 1917, it's that, but for World War II. Um, then there's uh, another one called Baptiste. It's a crime drama set in Amsterdam. It's just recently started and it's a thriller. It's something that'll keep you glued. Of course, we have Call of the Midwife. It's in season seven. So I know a lot of our members have already become viewing. It's my parents' favorite show. Um, so that's going to be out there for you live and also on Passport. There's also uh, there's a, a, a TV uh, app on YouTube. Public Broadcasting has public broadcasting on YouTube that you pay for a monthly fee, just like you would any of your other streaming services. So there's many different ways to get a hold of us. We have TV, we have radio, and we have our digital. Our digital uh, components of our, our, face, our Facebook page and our online channel have had viewership through the roof. It's triple what it was last year. And that, of course, has to do with this COVID-19 virus outbreak that we're having. People are coming to West Virginia, not only for information, but for entertainment. And we have that there for everyone. Well, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, again, I think a lot of people re regard public broadcasting as a luxury. And I think what you've done is you've shown that, at least in the state of West Virginia, this is almost a necessity because uh, hopefully things don't, bad things don't happen. But should they, you're there ready to uh, keep everybody informed. Again, I want to thank you very much for your time. Looking forward to seeing your next show uh, or the next show on, on public broadcasting. I'd like to thank all the viewers too. We'll be seeing you next week on Pete Holloway for Hazel Ford and Watson.